Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creators. I'm Dave Using, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, for today's interview, I'm going to be talking to Blue Delaquanti. We're going to be talking about the Comics Works, O Human Star, Meal, and the new graphic novel released via Random House Graphic this year, Across a Field of Starlight. These are some of uh, really, really enjoyable works that I have only uh, been reading this past year that I came upon these, but things like O Human Star, webcomic that ran from 2012 to 2020, uh, is a fantastic, fantastic read that I highly recommend everybody check out. Uh, that is that is available for free right now on, I think, ohumanstar.com because it was originally released as a webcomic. Blue, thanks so much for joining. Uh, I, I'm really excited to talk to you today about these these graphic novels and the sci-fi works and the comics career. Um, first things first, you know, you just you mentioned you are uh, home for the first time in a while, getting to actually rest. How has how has con season been treating you? How has the experience been so far? Oh boy, twenty twenty two. It's been it's been interesting. This has been my first what I would consider real year of conventioning since the pandemic. Um, it seems like all of these shows have been crawling their way across the calendar back to their pre-pandemic time slots this year they all seem to wound up in august so i've just come back from c2e2 in chicago uh, i just did emerald city in seattle and then there's a smaller hometown show that is not as a uh, huge of a deal uh, it's called autoptic here in minneapolis but I, it counts as a third show so i'm i'm beat <laughs> Yeah, for sure. How has uh, how has sort of the the fandom and the turnout been in terms of like, you know, moving copies of your work and getting to talk to people and getting feedback and all that? Has that been going well? In, yeah, in terms of uh, like capacity, people coming to the shows, I feel like it's starting to get its groove back. It really is interesting how much the audience can vary just depending on these shows. Uh, from my recollections, pre-pandemic, Emerald City always had it always felt like it had something a little extra, especially when it comes to independent creators. They have a really robust artist alley that the audience always seems genuinely really enthusiastic to attend. So I always forget how much more I tend to sell at Emerald City. Um, but mm. yeah, I feel like there's a general enthusiasm for people to be back and kind of catch up on what they've missed. And when it comes to independent creators, that is that can be a much more personal connection, which is really genuinely exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. No, very good. Glad to hear it. All right, so let's let's talk about the works here a little bit. So this is um, I was looking into, uh, I think it was I think it was probably a Comics Beat article about some of the best um, comics that relate to like queer and trans experiences. And O Human Star came up, and I'd been reading it over the past several months. And then I saw you were going to be at C two E two, and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I have to I have to try and talk to you and see if we can connect on this because I've been loving it. It's one of my favorite reads of the past year. Um, for you. those who don't know, again, you can check it out right now, but this is a story in brief about this inventor, uh, sort of this robotics expert, Alistair Sterling. Um, he wakes up 16 years after his death, a kind of mysterious death, um, in a robot body, essentially. And it matches his old one, and he enters this world where robots live alongside their human neighbors, but it's also, I mean, it's very much a story of queer romance, the trans experience, um, literal transhumanism. Uh, and again, I, I really, really love it. Um, in this work, you know, you're really focused on robots and and sort of the sci-fi of tackling robots as the other, right? And how that innately connects to the LGBTQ plus experience. I'm curious, um, what kind of sci-fi legacy, uh, like how consciously were you thinking about sort of the sci-fi legacy of robotics, like Asimov's robotics and those sorts of things? Or did you want to make sure to craft your own and break away I mean, from that sort of thing? That's a great question. I, I mean, it's hard to avoid that 
shadow of Asimov. I mean, he's such an influential figure. But when I think of works that I feel like are direct inspirations for what I was trying to go for, I can think of a few. In terms of comics, there's actually a really, really good um, robot narrative uh, that is done by the manga artist Naoki Urasawa. It's uh, called Pluto. Yeah. It's And that one's an interesting one because uh, Urasawa was essentially adapting an Astro Boy story from, I want to say, the 60s, which is a very, like, you know, it's, it was meant for kids and, like, general audiences. It's got a very, like, you know, like, not super nuanced plot. And what Urasawa does is basically infuse all of these cartoonish robot characters with way more humanity and asks those questions of that sort of tension between if humans and robots really shared a world that I found really, really impactful and interesting. Um, I also, I read a lot of like pro science fiction. I was also really influenced by this uh, novel called Solaris by uh, Stanislaw uh -huh. Lem. Are, are you familiar with this book? Uh, I've seen the movie. Yes. <laughs> I should read the book. The movie, yeah. Yeah, there's two. There's an American one with George Clooney in it. And then there's like a Soviet one that's just bananas. Like okay. it's like twice <laughs> as long and, and twice as weird. Um, but yeah. yeah, basic general plot. There's no robots really at all, but there's a, a derelict space station that has been investigating like a new alien life form. And the only way that this life form can communicate with the people on the station is by creating avatars basically of their loved ones. And mm. so the new arrival to the station is basically in, he's basically in conversation with this with his dead wife, this wife, yeah. wife of his who he hasn't seen for years and years, who doesn't seem to be aware that she is not really his wife. And again, mm -hmm. there's this really interesting, tense, melancholy dynamic between the human and the non-human that I found, found just completely fascinating. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty omnivorous when it comes to science fiction, and I kind of like taking what I can from you know, real developments as well. I found that I followed a lot of uh, developments into artificial intelligence, prosthetics, the moral implications thereof. I, I, I feel like they all kind of got swept up in my inspiration blender as I was working on this over eight years. And eight years stuff changed a lot in that world. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the the connection between AI and prosthetics was definitely not one that I had, you know, I'm, I'm, had not considered um but then you see it laid out in the narrative there's a, a great supporting character in a human star who you know is is requires prosthetics and is is using them but also is is inventing them as well um and that's one of those fields where you realize like oh yeah like there's a lot of connection here in terms of how these can be used in terms of how these can be used to house artificial intelligence a la robots you know as we think about in sci-fi mm -hmm. um that was that was a cool connection what was the what was the hardest thing for you to figure out in a human star? Like what was the, what was the, and I guess I should say right now, like we're going to talk about this um, definitely with some potential spoilers. So if you I was going to say there's some doozies. <laughs> have, have you, have you finished? Uh, the, I have finished it. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So spoiler warning now. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I, I guess it's actually, I feel like I can segue off of your last point pretty well because I always had a really solid understanding of how I wanted the story to end. So I kind of knew what direction I was pushing everything towards, but there was a lot of 
movement kind of in the narrative as I was working over this period of eight years where I realized there was just lots of ground I could potentially explore or things that I could kind of dabble in as I worked toward that goal. And that character, Lucille, was one of them. She really, uh, in the original outline, the story skeleton I was working with, she really wasn't very present at all. And then as I worked on the story, first of all, I became very fond of her because she's got a really fun design. She's got like a really fun personality. But I found that she was a very useful foil for uh, one of the main characters. Well, really, I mean, several of the main characters in a couple of different ways. I was really interested in her perceptive perception on uh, like body uh, augmentation, disability, and sort of an identity that changes over time in a very visual way that kind of is an interesting analog to the trans and queer themes I was exploring at the same time. As I was working, I realized how kind of essential her perspective felt. So mm. her presence in the narrative expanded significantly, I think to the story's advantage, but she really was not there at all when I started thinking about the book in you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. Sure. So yeah, I think if I was not kind of given myself room to meander over the years of working on it, she would not have had the role in the story she eventually played. Do you, so you've revisited, you know, Oh Human Star, obviously, like you said, it's, it's come out over the course of eight years. There's eight chapters. You've, mm -hmm. as it was coming out, you know, you, you, it was a webcomic originally, a page a day kind of thing. Um, and then you're kickstarting individual volumes. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, it's like, it's available on Webtoon now, you know, you've sort of explored like getting it out in various formats as you've revisited it over the years, um, including coming to a conclusion in 2020, is there stuff you look back on with the with the early days of it and like wish you could redo? Or do you <laughs> feel like very satisfied with the progression, you know, from from where you were to where you are now? Um, that in terms of the narrative, uh, I'm pretty satisfied with the shape of it. The thing that's kind of funny now is that eventually the present caught up with the future that I wrote. So when I uh, essentially did a rerun over the pandemic, I began it on the day that the story took place, which when I started, it was the far flung, you know, time of February, mm. 2021. Yeah. And so that was a very uh, unusual kind of, uh, you know, kept realizing that I was I had basically caught up on myself. Mm. Um, I would say if I was dissatisfied with anything, it would be the art. And it just feels like I, leveled up as an artist in in quite a few ways as I was working on it. You know, I just became more familiar with the tools I was working with. I feel like it became much better at anatomy. You know, I when I'm at conventions and I'm flipping through books as I put them out and I compare the art from chapter one to the art from chapter eight, I'm like, oh, boy, mm. oh, boy. <laughs> it just it just feels like night and day. And I, I yeah. think even since then, you know, I had a very specific uh, line art and palette that I remain consistent to throughout Oh Human Star. And since the end of that project, I've been able to uh, experiment with different line art styles, different coloring styles that I feel like makes that difference even more striking. So even though I, I have to imagine from the outside, it's less obvious to me, it feels very obvious, but I don't know if I would ever redraw it. That is a, that is a trap I know when many webcomic artists people fall into that once you start, you can often never stop. Sure, sure, right. Yeah, you can get into that 
perfectionism thing. And then I, you know, I think part of it too is like, folks really like it. <laughs> they liked it at the time. And then you run the risk of like, well, there is a, a progression, like a journey that readers are on with you, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. some of them, you know, coming to it the whole wave over the course of eight years, like readers like myself coming to it after the fact, you know, and it's like, you know, you kind of, you kind of get to experience it as you did in real time in some ways, which I think is appealing. You know, I, I think it's, it's very understandable that mm -hmm. you, like, I think a lot of artists, you know, you probably fall among this, like you're, you're often your most, your, your own most um, harshest critic in terms of like, oh, like I'm such a better artist now. But like, I think for readers, a lot of times it's like, yeah, the story's great. You're fine. <laughs> like, there's, there's nothing to worry about. Um, is there anything you did in, in O Human Star that you're really proud of that you feel like not nearly enough people notice? Um, I wouldn't say nobody noticed it. I would say that during reruns, people would start catching um, seeds that I, in the narrative that I sowed early that really didn't have meaning until you were already familiar with the whole story and then you read it all the way through. That was honestly one of the most things about the rerun was uh, I would basically upload a page a day. So what took eight years ended up taking more like a year and a half to rerun it again. But I would yeah. do an update every day and occasionally there would be these little lines that didn't really have a lot of meaning, you know, on the first pass. But once you know what you know, everyone's like, oh, that was so how did you how did you plan that like just lots of like throwaway lines especially when it comes to al or just you know things al notices or al does that become much more soaked in meaning the second fact that's something that i'm i really enjoy uh when i see it in other people's fiction it's something i try and do in my other works as well um it makes it a fun thing to revisit and to catch things that you don't necessarily catch this they it gives it like more value in my in my mind that's interesting i was i was actually earlier today i was looking at the the webtoon upload i was i was curious if you had like mm -hmm. broken out the panels you know kind of how you had structured that playing with the medium and uh, i was just looking at the first pages and i hadn't done it since i read it the first time um but i noticed even just in the first few pages of alistair's flashbacks and waking up there's all these illusions and things that gain tremendous meaning, like him waking up with the pocket knife mm -hmm. um, or with a switchblade, you know, uh, just like the poster on his wall of like this transformation, you know, mm -hmm. like there's all these like clues of that, that I think have tremendous like meaning as the series progresses, but definitely reading it day one, you know, I was just like, oh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's a detail, right? Exactly. You don't have that like background context for a lot of those things, but still feels rich with significance just in a different way. Yeah. Um, that's interesting that you read the Webtoon version. I have to admit, I was very lazy with uploading the Webtoon version. And this is something that I have spoken to about other webcomic artists. I wanna say of my era, which seems ridiculous because I've only been at this for 10 years, but webcomics changes a lot. And so I had talked to folks who basically used Webtoon as a mirror to just post their archive, just to catch some people who wouldn't have necessarily found the original archive the original way. For sure, and yeah. Yeah, I was, I was generally surprised. I, I caught some new people that way. Yeah, no, it's super cool. Well, and I, I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated, like you're saying, with the, the way webcomics change, with the explosion of how big Webtoon is. You know, it's something that I'm, I'm not super on top of, but I definitely have some series that I enjoy. Um, and I'm increasingly sort of, uh, comfortable and and find myself enjoying just the the ease of the format and the scrolling. So I'm I'm always curious 
about the ways you tell stories, you know, that kind of connects to, so something I saw you um, mention in interviews is, first of all, you're, I want, I like to go back and read kind of, you know, all the interviews that somebody does before I come and talk to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in yours, you have like the best, like recommended reading of like anyone I've, <laughs> because I found all these cool web comics that I hadn't checked out. Um, the, the less than epic adventures of TJ and oh all I'm reading God. now, <laughs> uh, 17,776 football, which yes. I'm obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a phenomenal phenomenal so cool it's like this interactive web comic I don't, even calling it a comic is like i don't know it's um, a borderline but i can't really like think of how else to describe it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what i want to ask you with that is like it's so strange and fascinating and i'm obsessed with the different ways of using the medium i'm curious like if you came back you kind of mentioned an interest in trying to emulate you know digital storytelling that is unique and kind of an experience in and of itself separate from comics like what kind of stuff do you think you'd want to want to emulate and try to bring to your own storytelling? It's funny you say that. This is this is something I've thought a lot about um, as a bit of a, a, a preamble. The reason I've often talked about this and thought about this is that I teach comics classes on the college level, and so you know these are students that are adults and they've read comics for a while. But even that age difference is enough to show just how much that online comics landscape has changed. Because web comics that I considered foundational or even just like inescapable, just like, you know, everybody knew like certain web comics, like, I don't know, for an era, it was Mega Tokyo or Penny Arcade or like, you know, like that era, like these, these students have no idea what those are and they have other landmarks. So I, for me, a lot of what I find really valuable about those is that the comic is part of the experience, but honestly going to the website is part of the experience. And I find that when you go to something like 171076, you go to that website and you can only truly experience it on that website. Um, I have an idea for something I would like to pursue that is honestly, um, are you familiar with the nib? Like the the news comic, like nonfiction. I would love to do some faux news comics that are about, I I really love kaiju stories and Godzilla stories. I would love to make some like faux news, like political, like comics about a world that has kaiju running through it and like recreating that like website where you are going to read these comics specifically and have it like take place over time and watch the website change or degrade could be a really fun experience this is all very like you know ideation like i I haven't quite set aside you know time for to make this happen but i feel like that kind of thing where you were recreating you know a a space and indicate time passing almost i feel like is something that web comics is very very good at Mm -hmm. and you know do all web comics need to do that not necessarily like webtoon is very easy because it's just you know it's just a platform to like read comics and go but I do really genuinely miss that experiencing the website and also just kind of interacting with people who are also reading that website the same time as you and talking to you about it. Like, I kind of miss comment sections, which is a cursed statement, but there are some comic sections or just people interacting with the comic as it serializes that I feel like when it works well, it really works well. Well, just that, I mean, I'm sure just that instant gratification at times, right, of a sense of community 
and the immediate feedback <laughs> of, like, <laughs> of folks who enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, comment sections can go south. But when you, when you build a community and you find an audience, mm-hmm. um, it can be tremendously rewarding. Be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm on the right track. I'm I'm good at this, right? <laughs> yeah, I would nice. say one of my fondest web comics memories is I I was a really big fan of the comic Akewood. Uh, did you ever read yeah. that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Akewood was so foundational to how I write dialogue and how I think about characters. And for a while, they just mm. had a very fun reader comment space where like they shared like cocktail recipes and or just like you know provided context for sometimes a lot of these very niche illusions that these comics were was making that you know when i was 18 19 years old you know i didn't know who klaus nomi was and this you know this commenter could tell <laughs> yeah. me what that was or you know any of these things yeah any of these jokes it, was it great. is fun how the yeah like how with web comics you almost have like you know an annotated guide sometimes when you have a good community yeah. like that and then if you if you try to turn and run it in print you know it's like you lose that that element of it, that element of the experience, um, yeah. and just the chance to talk to people immediately about it. Like, yeah, there is, it's funny. It's, it feels like weirdly old fashioned in some ways, but it's also not <laughs> that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, again, because you know, the, the timeline is so abbreviated again, I, I, I'm feeling like I'm nostalgic for something fif- from 15 years ago, but yeah, thinking about these webcomic collections that often try and figure out, you know, well, how do we preserve the hover text? You know, the, 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 the additional punchline that would come with every update, you know, how do we preserve that in print? You know, that feels like a very of its time concern. And this is 15 years ago, which in the grand scheme of things is nothing. Right, right. Yeah, it is. I, I find all this fascinating as comics continues to develop because it is like when we think about the players in the digital space, you know, maybe a webtoon, right? A comicsology, obviously being owned by Amazon is where most people are going to get digital comics. Mm -hmm. They so rarely do things that are unique (laughs) to being Mm -hmm. online or being digital. You know, like comicsology is a tremendous platform for just reading a comic, but in the traditional way, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm increasingly sort of fascinated by things that like, no, you can interact with this and and you can, you know, you can, you're watching a video and listening to music and it's all part of the experience. I, I find that stuff super cool. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So I'm looking forward to this Kaiju, Kaiju news site. Whatever, uh, <laughs> get get <laughs> back to me in a year or so. I have like, like one other like comic project on the pot before I can even get to it. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, it, it, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be ready and waiting when it comes <laughs> up. Um, so, all right. So I, one thing I've been interested in lately is, is writers talking about the differences between like knowing where you're going in a story. You, know, you talk about that structure with O Human Star, mm-hmm. um, having this really clear path and structure versus like leaving yourself breadcrumbs um, or challenges to kind of figure out as you go. I think it was, uh, I was talking to Gene Ha, the tremendous artist, um, did an interview with, he was talking about working with Alan Moore on Top 10. And he said that one of the coolest pieces of advice he got was like, trust future you to be as good a creator as you are today to figure it out. It sounds like you've done elements of both between O Human Star and, and the new graphic novel, Across the Field of Starlights. I'm curious on your thoughts on the difference. Um, if you like having everything mapped and set or if you like that experience of like you know leaving yourself a clue and then figuring out something else cool tomorrow um yeah that that's a good question that's something that i feel like i have experimented with 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 much more over the last few projects with oh human star the vision felt so clear i would say you know in general my comics are very character driven like the characters always come first i get a sense of what is interesting about them what their 
conflicts might be if they interact with each other what would be the most satisfying thing to have happen to them and for oh human star that always felt very clear um with other projects i feel like the character dynamic has been quite clear but i've they've they've often been much bigger in scope these stories so i i just my most recent graphic novel is a a space opera so very big stakes and with something like that you know the character dynamic you know i feel like i know i can wrap my head around that but in terms of like the big the big shebang ending of a space opera i found it more difficult to commit to so i started almost leaving it up to chance in some specific ways um i had and this is something i talked about in the afterword i wrote to oh human star uh one of my favorite writers is ursula Le Guin, who's a very very like impactful science fiction writer she is also very like anthropologically knowledgeable she was really interested in a lot of different cultures lots of different things that she absorbed into her own writing practice so she wrote this essay that she knew where she wanted to like start but to finish it she said i'm going to use the i ching which is like this chinese divination tool it goes back hundreds if not thousands of years i'm just going to do it like a casting i'm going to interpret the results i get and let that kind of lead me to where i'm going to go and i'd never heard of this before i ended up looking it up philip k dick actually did something similar for the man in the high castle that was actually like so foundational that kind of became part of the plot as well um but apparently this was like a thing that some authors were interested in and just sort of letting go of that control and letting themselves as writers like trust their own you know means of interpretation and maybe just having it go in a direction that isn't like the same usual thing they always do so i gave right. that a try for across a field of starlight where i basically you know i got a result from using the I Ching, like you know and you basically it's like comes down to flipping coins or you can use other things like it's number generation essentially um you get a pattern that basically represents a single idea and that can you know mean different things whether you're asking about like you know should i invest in this stock should i you know talk to this cute boy should i you know go to war with the southern tribes like you know it's like it it's it can mean different things depending on the scale of the of the question that you're posing it um yeah. but yeah it's just kind of like a generation idea i feel like you can probably do similar things with tarot or even just with like cards or any yeah. kind of like number generation or idea generation um brian eno sure. the musician has a card deck that he come came up with in the 80s for his own musical projects like there's just a bajillion iterations on this theme of just let it go pick some ideas at random and riff off of that idea until you get something you're satisfied with so um to go back to your question that you asked a zillion years ago i have uh gone back and forth between having a character core that feels very coherent and consistent and strong but letting their story go someplace different than i might otherwise expect it to uh by letting go of some control a little bit 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I, it's funny how like clear that is and how much sense that makes in terms of like using it as a writing prompt essentially to be mm -hmm. like, okay, this will spark this idea and I'm just going to go with it now. Um, but how little I had thought of that before. Do you have an example in Across the Field of Starlight where you had kind of a crossroads and then the, you know, you use this device to sort of push you one direction or another? Yeah, I mean, what I can say is the big problem I was wrestling with narratively is that it's basically a book about how do you stop fascism, which is not a, a question with a very simple answer. And it's something that I feel like space operas in general have grappled with quite a bit. I mean, you get that in Star Wars, you get that in Star Trek, you get that bit in all kinds of everything. And I feel like I have heard just lots of conversations about how different stories handle it, both satisfyingly and unsatisfyingly. And I wasn't really sure how I wanted to approach it in a way that I felt was interesting and like thoughtful and you know, something that like the intended young adult audience could wrap their heads around. So when I tried uh, the I Ching casting, oh, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase that I got. It was essentially small victory. And in the sense of the I Ching, it means that you don't necessarily win everything. You don't get everything your way, but you can like cling to this one thing that you've been able to achieve and use that as like a like a stepping stone to just kind of like build off of and grow more successes or you know just more of a community and so when I puzzled with that idea I found that that became like a really compelling moral or not moral but you know resolution for that book is you know yeah there's not really a way to win a hundred percent against space fascism but by kind of creating these connections with other people and kind of, you know, focusing on the small wins, you can build up to something that is satisfying and has the promise of, you know, more success over time, which I find is also a pretty healthy, you know, application to everyday lives, you know, in, 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 in these unprecedented times that yeah, you know i found helpful to kind of reflect on as well so that's probably the most overarching example i can think of for that's something good. like this yeah that's good that is an interesting approach too to like you said it's a very macro universe right in a galaxy and a very familiar mm -hmm. problem you know the evil empire of it all right with the star wars connections um but then not having the the answer be well if you place the two you know blaster strikes directly in the death star that will actually solve the mm -hmm. space fascism right it's not it's not always that easy um <laughs> I, th I think right. it's a pretty a pretty believable result uh with with across the field of stars um or starlight rather um mm -hmm. you know you, you like you said it's a space opera it's a very big book i mean it was probably 350 pages or so um yeah it's a half what was boy. the what were the sci-fi elements that you were the most excited to be learning about because there's a there's a great application of the science you know you mentioned the prosthetics and robotics right with oh human star um what what for this book were the things that you got really really amped about um i was really interested in terms of a story i was really interested in talking about the idea of post scarcity which is essentially when you don't really have to worry about 
resources, you know, either on a personal or society societal scale, you know, if you, and this is essentially like, I guess the most mainstream analog is Star Trek essentially works this way. Like when you don't really need to work in order to get food, get shelter, get healthcare, get anything like that. What do you do with your life? And more importantly, what kind of person do you feel empowered to become? Which I find to be a very queer, you know, concept as well, is I feel that something that queer people run into very often is that you have to make compromises between what keeps a roof over your head and how you can present in the world, what kind of person you feel like you can be, what stuff you feel empowered to ask for. Um, you know, I, I find that this is something that happens with healthcare decisions a lot is that, you know, transgender people in particular have made a lot of strides in demanding and asking for healthcare that lets them live their lives. And, you know, that is something that is not really conducive to the way our society works, but by advocating for those things, everybody benefits. So I don't, this is something that I feel like is a conversation that happens a lot in queer spaces that I don't see show up very much in queer books, especially those aims, aimed at kids. And uh, something that a conversation I've had with other people is that we've seen a big growth in interest and, you know, uh, acquisitions for graphic novels that discuss queer themes or have queer characters, that kind of thing. But we often talk about the difference between queer 101, which is basically, you know, like, here's what it means that I have these pronouns or, you know, here's what it means that, you know, I like boys or girls or what have you, which I find that kids can wrap their heads around pretty quickly and in a sophisticated way. I find that kids are already ready to go past that and into questions that are more queer 201, which is okay. So I know I'm, you know, this gender, I know that I want to do this thing. How can I do that and live in society? Or how can I have a relationship where people let me, you know, be those things? Like, what is it like to be myself, but also, you know, navigate the world as it is? And I find that there are not as many books that tackle those questions or even acknowledge that those challenges exist. So, you know, is, is my space opera book the most like practical, you know, uh, <laughs> source of those answers, you know, probably not, but I find that they are questions that people in our circumstances think about quite a bit. And they like seeing that addressed in all kinds of stories, not just realistic ones. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction um, in terms of the, the sort of 101 versus 201 nature of of the, yeah, I guess it's all sort of lumped into a, a broad YA category, but that means very different things, you know, mm -hmm. for, if you're a eight-year-old targeted book versus a 13-year-old targeted book, right? Like there's mm -hmm. there's significant gaps there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's nice to have, because there's so many good graphic novels in this space now. Yes. Um, I've, I, I have two young, I have young kids and I'll, I'll go in the library with them and I'm looking at the kids graphic novel section and I'm like there's stuff here that I love like I've got you know like you know, the princess and the dressmaker and these things I've picked up mm -hmm. um just because I'm sitting there with them and I'm like this stuff is fantastic and I'm finally getting to experience that just as a parent excited to, to, to be able to share this um so it's it's amazing to see the space exploding but yeah it's really interesting to hear you talking about like okay the space is huge there's a demand for it um but now let's push 
the the messaging and the metaphors we're able to tell into some of these more complicated, maybe slightly more nuanced, you know, discussions. Right? Yeah, I think I think kids have a much more sophisticated grasp grasp on a lot of these concepts than adults are often ready to give them credit for. And, you know, often a lot of times kids are interested in worlds beyond them. Like they're interested in like how the adult world works or things that are a little like, you know, nuanced or transgressive or scary even. Like they are interested in understanding how a lot of these things work and what to prepare for. And so I find that it's really exciting to see that space explode in comics because I mean, I think comics are the best art medium in the world, but I, <laughs> it's really exciting to see what is out there for everybody, kids and teens and adults, just like discussing things that just you couldn't expect to find in any kind of media, let alone comics like 10, let alone 20 years ago. It's been really exciting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, and you, like, and it's you see the backlash to it now, right? Mm -hmm. From the more, you know, hate, rage-filled voices in the world, right? But it's mm -hmm. just like, I mean, it sucks to to see, but it's also like the momentum's already it's already happened. <laughs> like these these books are already created. Like the these these readers, they're eating them up. You know, it's just like it's this this train is not slowing down anytime soon, mm -hmm. um, fortunately. And it's just I for me, it's like it gives like the new graphic novel, like, you know, human star, there's just tremendous resonance. Um, I think especially as, you know, especially like trans rights are under attack where it's like, I, I think it, it's, it's one way of many that need to be applied, but it's also like explaining through metaphor, explaining through story, sort of sharing and allowing empathy to sort of help people understand um, is tremendously important. I, what kind of things do you hear from readers? You know, because you're, you're communicating very clear, you know, themes about about queerness, about trans. Like, what are you hearing from from younger readers that that fills you with with a feeling like you're doing something right? <laughs> that's been that's been interesting. So, across the field of Starlight has really only been out in the world since February, and something I've had to get used to, you know, coming from a world of online comics and self publishing, is that people have come across the book in places where I was not responsible for putting it there. And the most, uh, the most like active contingency I think has been librarians and librarians. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of librarians at C2E2. I came to learn later that C2E2 is very proactive about inviting librarians in, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have been huge champions in investigating all of these new books and putting out work uh, for kids to read. And I have heard from librarians who come from like smaller, more conservative towns, like in the Midwest, or, you know, I was just in Seattle. So they would come from like Eastern Washington or something like that. And, you know, there was just, you know, they would talk about being grateful that they had something on the shelf that, you know, talked a bit about these nuanced things in a fictional context where, it was, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Like, it's not that these kids are like hiding this from parents or putting it under the radar, but if you read about this in a fiction book, it's not necessarily the same as having like a nonfiction book that might go under more scrutiny for like, why are you reading about, you know, like queer stuff or trans stuff in this, you know, nonfiction how-to book versus, you know, oh, I'm reading this book about space. And there happens to be you know, genderqueer and trans characters talking about, you know, 
these aspects of their identity. It's, it just gives them an opportunity to like share that in a way that they can vouch for, they've researched and they know their audiences. Yeah. And that, that's been great. It's also just been fun to see younger readers who were not necessarily in that webcomics world find across a field of starlight first and then finding oh human star that happened a few times at conventions and that was very interesting as well sure sure yeah now going back no it's very cool um all right good deal yeah no so these are these are very important works i think um in terms of the representation and in terms of the themes that you're talking about um not to not to tell you how important you are but it is you know it's it's important to have yeah <laughs> it's important to have these books out there um all right let's talk a little bit too i really liked your 2019 graphic novel uh meal yeah that, that you did with salil ho uh came out through iron circus comics uh how did you get into what is it Ento, entomophagy entomophagy right? yes entomophagy um, thank you oh, enough boy, to oh, want boy. to do like I, a whole graphic novel about it i love i love talking about the origin story for this because there's just so many funny details I want to say. Um, so I had the opportunity to travel abroad quite a bit in college. And one of the places I got to go to was Thailand. And we were staying, there's a group of us students who were staying in a relatively small village where they would do a big potluck to like welcome everybody and like send everybody off. And so like a big thing they did every time there was a, you know, big group of folks coming through was they would catch crickets in like the field outside of town and they had like a whole setup they had like one of those lights that would you know draw insects to it they would hit a thing of aluminum siding and then it would go into a big pot or you know thereabouts and you would go walk around with literally a soccer like match cooler like one of those little coleman coolers pick up all oh, yeah. the the crickets from around the light and then you would stir fry them and it was just a really fun communal experience. I went home and had what I thought was an extremely casual interest in eating bugs. And then, <laughs> you know, just like, I just happened to have a lot of facts on hand about it. And yeah. then I'm trying to remember, there was one movie that I watched where, oh, I know exactly what it was. It was the movie Snowpiercer, which is an excellent movie, Bong Joon-ho movie. Um, but the, there is a twist that involves eating insects and oh what a you know what a depraved dystopia this is that they're eating bugs and i was like wait 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 no 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 you can't have a car that involve that like you know because the premise of this movie is that the rest of humanity lives on this train that like goes around the world forever and ever so people will go through different train cars that uh vary between the haves and the have-nots so there's a train that's like an aquarium with a sushi like restaurant and you cannot have like a raw fish restaurant and then talk about how gross eating bugs is like <laughs> right so, yeah so it was basically like many like many things i was fueled by spite i was also at the time really um emotionally invested in some like manga titles that were really interested in communicating specific types of food um, and how exciting they were. There is a title called The Drops of God that is written by two wine enthusiasts. It sounds like you're familiar with it, which at the time it was written, there wasn't a huge like wine 
community in Japan. And apparently this like was responsible for changing that in East Asia overnight. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Um, they just had a really good technique for communicating these like aspects of how wine tastes, what its terroir is like, its palate in a visual, like, like exciting visual way. So I was like taking in all these influences. I wanted to like tell a romance story. I was really interested in restaurant politics. So it turned into the pitch for Meal. I was working on it. At the same time, I had started reading these essays by Solejo, who was like a really accomplished food writer. And uh, I got in touch with them and just said, hey, would you be okay with me picking your brain about how working in a restaurant works? Because I know you have a lot of restaurant experience. You have a lot of really interesting things to say about what food is considered cool and trendy to eat after it's been kind of like maligned for so long. Because this happens a lot with, you know, it happened with sushi. It went from being like a weird thing that Molly Ringwald ate in the breakfast club. And now you can get it at any gas station in Minnesota. It happened with poke not too long ago. Like, you know, there's this cycle that like different foods go through. And it started happening with insects as I was working on meal. Long story short, Soleil was writing about this phenomenon really well. I reached out to Soleil and Soleil said, oh yeah, I know your comics. Also, I'm pretty sure we lived in the same apartment building. Do you know? And and they said my landlord's name. And I was like, (laughs) yes. So we found out there were bizarre coincidences (laughs) that uh, we had lived in the same apartment. They were responsible for the grody old couch that had been left behind in the apartment when I moved in. <laughs> and it, just, it was like, it was just a bunch of things where I realized later this should not have happened this way. But we became really mm. good friends and we ended up collaborating on the final draft of the book that I'm really proud of. And we're still like in touch. We're still re- really good friends. Um, it was just c- kind of a fun combination of talking about food they knew exactly what i was trying to go for in terms of tone for the book and i think it just became a really fun light like there's not really a lot of books that i've seen like it but people seem to really connect to what i was trying to do that's awesome that's awesome no it's it's a really fun read it's yeah it is fairly breezy i suppose but it's like it's educational it's fun it's romantic um i watched it um or i watched it i read it shortly after watching the bear on hulu which oh, really I still need to watch that okay intensity mm-hmm. of the restaurant experience um very different experiences yet you know just because they're sort of restaurant culture and and cuisine culture related it was like a nice pairing mm-hmm. uh it was a, it was a great cool down after the intensity of the bear. <laughs> um and i and i enjoyed it but it was also like okay like I, the one thing that i think you both sell really well is the cultural um normality of of insects as cuisine and how like this is not like some like yeah like you said like this weird depraved thing like it's like no this is like very normal in in many cultures and has been throughout time um also here's how these dishes can sound really good <laughs> like it's like it's so much of it is just mental and just stuff that you know if you're not used to it like that's that's most of what you're reacting to or definitely what i'm reacting to yeah um when i think about trying it so it made me feel a little bit braver about the potential um and i feel like i learned a lot <laughs> so that, that was fun that's good yeah that i that's been the really exciting feedback i've gotten from folks is that it seems like for a lot of people it changed the script in their head or it made them more interested in just like 
thinking about food differently, thinking about insects differently. It's, I mean, it's gotten easier than ever to try insects in a lot of different ways and find them. And you can go to a lot more restaurants. There's a really great Mexican restaurant that I go to whenever I'm in DC for uh, the convention SPX that does uh, grasshopper tacos that are incredible. And yeah, I feel like restaurants are more excited in changing that script and making that available to like more like enthusiastic uh like patrons it's it's been really it's been really exciting to see that change since meal came out yeah. and even then as it was as i was working on it yeah very good very good all right so uh up next for you i saw you recently announced you're gonna be participating in the short box comics fair Yes. Um, what do you What do you have planned for that? What's um What's that going to be like? Um, so Shortbox is a uh, small publisher um, that is run by Zainab Akhtar out in the UK. Um, for the last few years, uh, she has organized what is essentially like a digital festival for new work from artists that she invites, that she curates, and that is like a month of getting to see all this artist's work and all in one place. And then after the fair is over, the artists can do what they wish with it. Um, and there's a really fun range of artists from all over the world. When I checked it out last year, there was really cool work from like Malaysia and France and Canada. Um, so I got invited this year and my dumb ass decided to make a graphic novella <laughs> that was like 68 pages long. Like they don't have to be very long. These comics could be four <laughs> pages. They can be 14 pages. Yeah. I got this idea over the last year that was, um, it's so adversary is essentially about, it's a COVID story that takes place in Minneapolis in 2021, which was a very interesting place to be for multiple reasons. Sure. Um, and it's basically about two guys who, reconnect after like seeing each other again during the pandemic after not having seen each other for many years they get into like this kind of unconventional relationship while like dealing with covid stuff happening around them and uh i've been calling it a feel bad book it's very like it's very for adult audiences it's like a queer relationship in a way that's like very different from i think Across the field of starlight, I would say if you liked Oh Human Star, it's the kind of like relationship you would find interesting. Um, but yeah, it's contemporary fiction, which I don't do very often. It's uh, got a really interesting coloring style for me that I got to experiment with. And it's, I don't know, the way I've been describing it is I had to make the story or I would be a crazy person. It's, <laughs> okay. it's just a very like raw, uh, unusual book for me, but I'm very proud with how it came out. Good, yeah, that's good. coming out in August, uh, okay, October. Okay, so we'll look for that in October. <laughs> yes, the fair will be going yeah. uh, the whole month of October. Afterwards, you'll still be able to get a hold of it from me directly, but buying it at the fair will also benefit me. So feel free to check it out. And check out, there's a lots of really, really amazing artists participating in the fair this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I need to check that out this year. It seems like a lot of times Shortbox has uh, amazing curation where it's like, mm -hmm. you know, you'll see, I'll see names in this and then it'll be like two years later and they'll be like, they're huge. Where did they start? Oh yeah, of course, they were in Shortbox. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's a good thing to check out. I definitely need to do that. Uh, all right, cool. Where where can people find you and, uh, and what else do you want to make sure people know about finding your work? 
Um, you can find me, I mean, you can find out everything about my work at bluedeliquani.com. That's my website. Uh, my name's long in Italian. I'm sure you will find it <laughs> typed up where when this goes live. Um, we'll you are you always know. welcome to find and read Oh Human Star at ohumanstar.com. Um, Across the Field of Starlight is probably my easiest book to find in bookstores and libraries. Um, but I am pretty easy to get a hold of on Twitter, on my website. Uh, just keep an eye out for me and all my projects I got coming up. Cool. Do you think you'll, are you, are you going to try to get Oh Human Star um, like like republished or like more accessible I, bookstores and stuff I like wouldn't that? turn that down. I don't have any current plans to do so. Uh, from the sounds of it, it is currently being published in French for the first time. Uh, that might be happening in the next year or so. Um, yeah, I, I would keep it open. I still have the first printing to finish selling through. But afterwards, oh, okay. I absolutely would keep it as a possibility. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. Good deal. All right, Blue, this has been a pleasure. Uh, again, we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes um, where you can find the comics. Uh, but of course, you know, definitely check them out. And, and thanks for coming by to talk today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate it.